Hey everyone, this is Lash Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this week's podcast revolves around the pivotal matchup between the Miami Heat and the Detroit Pistons this weekend. Nikias Duncan of FanRag Sports and Basketball Breakdown joins me to talk about the Heat struggles on defense, that one time Hassan Whiteside was benched for Amari Stoudemire, and uh, we commiserate on the lack of offense that both of our teams have ended up playing this season. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, uh, Lazarus Jackson. It's good to be back. It's good to uh, talk to you guys again. I am joined today not by my usual co-host, but by a, a very special guest, uh, Nikias Duncan of uh, Fan Rag Sports and B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, Nikias, how you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And uh, the reason I brought you on is to talk about the, uh, the Miami Heat, which is the team that... Um, you do most of your analysis around. It's the team that I assume you're a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the team that Detroit Pistons are currently fighting for uh, for a playoff spot. So uh, let's get into it. Miami uh, lost to the Lakers last night. They gave up uh, 100 points in three quarters. Uh, you had a really long video thread on Twitter that I encourage people to, uh, to examine if they have time. But uh, can you kind of summarize what you, uh, what you saw from that game? Um, it was a lot of bad defense. The Lakers basically figuratively and literally ran Miami off the court. Um, L.A. pushed the pace off of misses. They pushed the pace off of makes. And Miami just failed to match up or otherwise just didn't give any sort of resistance at the rim. So once L.A. got rolling from inside, then they started kicking out and started knocking out threes. I think they hit 15 three-pointers last night. So um, it just kind of snowballed from there. Miami couldn't match up, and you know, the results speak for themselves. So that makes the Heat, uh, what, two and eight in their last 10 games? It doesn't feel like that long ago. They were uh, they had that game in Cleveland where if they would have won, they would have been the four seed and Cleveland would have been out of home court for the playoffs. What, what's, what's happened since then? What's gone wrong? Um, it's been a slippage on defense and the three-point shooting's kind of waned. Uh, mostly Wayne Ellington has been, um, he's been banged up and in a slump and now he's out. With a quad injury, he's shooting, I think, 29% from three over over his last nine games before he went out against Philly. Um, once Wayne Ellington gets shut down, Miami really doesn't have a counter in their half-card offense. And then once they can't get easy buckets, then teams get to get out and run against them. And, again, they've kind of struggled um, tracking teams that get out in transition as of late. Yeah. So Tyler Johnson is out too, right? Yes. Okay. So, like, cumulatively, what's the, what's the effect of, of missing both of those guys? Uh, I know Rodney Magruder's back, but, um, you know, Dwayne Wade's not starting right now. What what was the lineup they ran last night? They had, what, Jay Rich at the three and Winslow at the – no, Jay Rich at two, Winslow at three, and then they started Olenek, right? 
but they just didn't have the foot speed to keep up with LA's athletic front court. So I guess when I think about like athletic guys and I think about, uh, you know, guys who were hard nosed defenders, I think a lot about uh, James Johnson, who was like a really vital part of what the heat were able to do in the second hand, second half of last season. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's kind of invisible. Uh I didn't. I couldn't place him on the court last night. What What do you make of how he's been since uh, since in this stretch? Um, he's at, um the Lakers game was probably his worst game of his recent um, nine or ten games. Oh, okay. Um, but overall on the year he's been very inconsistent. His role has changed. He's been in the starting lineup kind of as the secondary ball handler. He's been in the starter as like the third or fourth ball handler. He's come off the bench, trying to regain comfort. Um. His aggressiveness has kind of ebbed and flowed. It just feels like he's been trying to fill out his role. He never really felt comfortable anywhere outside of the bench, and that's kind of been where he's been for the last month or so. But uh, I think what what really changed with his role? Like he was he was coming off the bench last year. They signed Olenek in the offseason, and like that did did was that the thing that like really like shifted his place on the team, or was it something else? I think so because like when he came on last year. He was pretty – I mean, he was, I guess, the third guy in the hierarchy. You know, Goran Dragic kind of ran the show. Deion Waiters was the secondary guy to attack um, big defenses. And then James Johnson would come in because Justice Winslow would have been that guy and was that guy, at least that's what Mike was trying to do, before he got hurt and lost for the year with a shoulder injury. Once he get down, James Johnson kind of assumed all of that responsibility. So he always had the ball in his hands. He could establish a rhythm easier that way. Um, this year, you bring Justice back into the fold, even though I've had issue with his usage. You add Kelly Olynyk and have they've tried to um, implement him, implement him more in those dribble handoff sets. Um, James Johnson's really struggled to find consistency with his touches, and then when he does have the ball, I guess he's really struggling to see when he should be aggressive and when he should kind of direct the flow of the offense. All right, that's fair. I'd I'd forgotten that Winslow was hurt last year, and uh, he hasn't. He hasn't played. How has he played this year? I know uh, every time I watch him, he makes uh, a couple threes and some very nice passes. But I don't know how dependable he is. He's been for them night in and night out. So what's he been like this year? Um, it really depends on the night. But I think he obviously has his issues. Um, he shot. He shot very well on spot up threes this year, but he still doesn't have real gravity out there because teams just don't believe it's real yet. So it's, I mean, he's going to have to build up a sample before defenses start reacting to him. Um, but other than that, it's, it's just been a weird year for him in terms of his role. Miami has started him at the four. They brought him off the bench as the four, kind of similar to James Johnson. But he hasn't had the touches that James Johnson has had. So he's kind of um, disappeared in the offense at times because he isn't getting those touches. And then when he's playing the four, you're kind of minimizing his best um, – you're minimizing his defensive ability because he's a guy that can guard one through three. And maybe if you go small, he can guard some fours. But having him primarily as a four and a help defender, um, especially in pick and roll, it just kind of got him out of place. And he has looked um, – he's just looked out of place for a lot of the year. Um, we saw in the later game he started at the three. He looked a lot more comfortable in both ends. So hopefully that will be more of a trend moving forward. But it's just been – it's really been an inconsistent year for Justice. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I always think about, like, Justice and Stanley, those two guys kind of – inextricably like tied together because of the draft slot and everything and how uh stanley looks from the outside and he struggled a lot of this year has dealt with some injuries and and now he's starting kind of coming to his own but it still doesn't 
if you still like just look at it on paper, it's still not quite there. So it's always like valuable to get that perspective on like another dude who's uh, in a very similar situation. Um, so I guess we've been talking for like seven minutes and we haven't mentioned Dwayne Wade yet. Um, <laughs> I know you. Had, oh. Yeah, you had a tweet uh, earlier this week about uh, how. OK, I'm just going to say it. Since his return to Miami, Dwayne Wade is averaging more shots than Josh Richardson, more minutes than Justice Winslow, and has a higher usage rate than everyone except Udonis Haslam, who's only played four minutes. And then you just why in all caps. So, <laughs> so what's uh, Wade? No, we see the good and the bad with Wade, right? Like he makes the game winner against Philly, but um, you know, and he's he draws the foul on Sarge to to tie the game and everything, but. Um, teams still aren't guarding him outside on the perimeter. Um, there's always like the you wonder how how high in the hierarchy he thinks he is. Um, returning to Miami, there was always the uh, the whispers that he and Dragic really didn't get along. And so so what's what's the ideal role for Dwayne Wade on this Miami Heat team in your mind? And is is he in that role now? Um, I think if you're going to use Dwayne Wade as a legit consistent rotation piece. He kind of has to operate as the, the backup ball handler. The guy didn't come up, come off the bench and either distribute or just get his. Um, and I think he's, he's definitely been in that role the last couple of games with um, Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington out. He has more of a burden to create off the bench. But um, outside of that, I, don't know, I just kind of struggle with him being on the roster. Not him personally, but just the type of player he is. Because he is kind of a ball dominant guy that needs you know he needs the ball in his hands to be effective. And when he's on, like he's been for the last two games, you live with it. But even with that, he was, I think, a minus sixteen in the Philly game. Um he had a great offensive showing against the Lakers last night and even then they were terrible with him on the court. So it's just kind of what is the balance between playing him, especially when he's on, and how he's affecting other areas when he doesn't have the ball. And that's either on offense or obviously defensively, where he's clearly not the same guy he was three or four years ago. But it's just, um, it's just tough for Spo to figure out because they need his shot creation, but just it's kind of like what cost does it come at? Yeah, I know. I know he's been playing a lot in crunch time, and like that's where I think I'd be most worried about it, right? Because um, that's where shot creation is at uh, a premium, and that's where uh, you need. You know, even if it's inefficient, you need to just like not turn the ball over. But uh, they already have like a, a guy in Goran Dragic who I think was was fulfilling that role for them earlier this season. And so that was always the question like earlier, like two years ago. Um, but so I guess how, how has Dragic looked in, in crunch times when playing next to Dwayne Wade? Um, He's been pretty quiet and. Now, part of that is on Warren because he tends to fade to the corner and let guys create, and he'll try to attack. He's more of a secondary attacker on that regard. But there are times where he kind of needs to be assertive, especially if he has a new match. And it seems like he's, you know, a lot of times he's dribbling in place, waiting on somebody else to kind of take their responsibility. And you can't have that from, if not your best offensive player, at least your most important. So I don't think Warren yeah. has ever really found the balance between let me defer because this guy has the hot hand and hey, I'm the best player or I have a mismatch. I need to, I need to force the issue here. That's, that's a little surprising because like every time I think of him, I imagine like those, those playoff games against Charlotte where, uh, 
you know, like he's going off or those uh those early games against and against the Sun or the uh the Spurs with these with the Suns where he's like scoring twenty points in the fourth quarter and everything. And it's just weird to envision him like not, you know, seizing the responsibility of of being that guy. Um that's that that's really weird. Uh do you know do 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 like any of the beat writers or anything have any like insight as to like why that is? Like Um, not that I've heard. I mean, you've kind of heard some chirps that you want that you definitely want him to be that guy, but I don't know. Goran just seems kind of okay with deferring, and I think I mean there's value in that. You don't want a guy that's going to say I'm going to take the shot no matter who's hot, no matter who's open or whatever. But again, there's a fine balance between deferring in the right situation and establishing your establishing yourself. And since Goran's been in Miami, he just really hasn't had that, at least not consistently. There was the Charlotte series. And the Toronto series, even then, it took like up until game four or game five before Gorn really put his imprint on that series. And as poorly as Kimba shot throughout the entire series, Kimba was always putting pressure on defenses and Gorn just wasn't. So that kind of turned the back half of that series and then against Toronto where he was going, um, he was trading blows for Kyle Lowry. You kind of want more of that, especially on this team, but he just hasn't done that. There's really no clear answer as to why. All right, that's something to keep an eye on. I think, especially with the Pistons game that they play tomorrow, um, you know, I think Ish Smith is like that's a really big mismatch for the Pistons, and so like that's something I'd normally be like really concerned about. But if he's not going to be aggressive, he's not going to he's not going to exploit that matchup. That's not something that I think the uh, the Pistons necessarily have to focus on as much, and like that that makes it tough. Oh, I was gonna say yeah, pretty much. I think even Ish Smith, um, he's given going some troubles in the last couple of years just because of the speed factor. And I think one issue that um, we're starting to see now with Goran is that he has slipped a little bit defensively. Um, he has really struggled to deal with speed this year, especially. So I think that's really going to be an interesting matchup. If he doesn't um, punish Ishmael because he's not the best defender, if he's not scoring, if Ishmael is able to get into the lane and kind of kick out and do other things like that, um, that matchup could go the wrong way. And that's really going to put Miami in a bind. Do they ever cross match Goron? Like uh put Jay Rich on the point guard and uh just put Goron up against like the presumably slower shooting guard and just have him like run around screens and stuff? There was like a two or three week stretch in January when they finally started doing that. I had been calling for it all year because they have not. And Goran has been getting torched for the majority of the year. And they started hiding him a little bit in January and things got better. But um even in the Laker game, Goran was guarding Lonzo. And you know, Lonzo obviously isn't a scorer, but even Lonzo was able to break down a defense a couple of times and um, create. So it's going to be interesting to see how Bourne holds up against a speed guy like Ian Smith. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. Now, as far as as far as Josh Richardson goes, um, when I was watching the Lakers game, I was watching the Miami feed, and like they're talking about making all defense noise for him uh, this season. I don't know if he's been that good, but uh, you, I guess you tell me has he has he been that impactful of a defender this season? Um, he has been. He has legitimately been, if not elite, he's been like a shade under elite guarding through positions. Um, I think that's probably the biggest leap Josh Richardson has taken since his rookie year because he's always been an active defender. He's always been a guy that could get you a chase down block. But um, some of the angles he took when defending pick and rolls just kind of have you scratching your head. Um, a lot of silly fouls. He did foul um, Contavious Caldwell Pope on the three last night. That was kind of uncharacteristic for him this year. And the fact that that's an uncharacteristic foul for him now is a big boost from when he first came into the league. 
but yeah, he's a legit terror defensively now. I think he's been um, he's been the top ten in field goal percentage allowed. Um, you know, there's always noise in those numbers, but the eye test kind of matches up with that. He smothers smaller guards. He uses his length to go against guys that are bigger than him. And even when he's beat, he's um, such a quick jumper, he can still block shots from behind or contest shots and bother other guys. So he's he's definitely been all over the place. So what what position does he play on this team? Because honestly, like when I first saw him, I thought he was a point guard. You know, like when I envision a guy with his like frame, I'd think like, oh, that's just like a really big point guard and you can use him to guard three three positions and, and call it a day. But uh, with Goron and with now with Dwayne Wade, like what, what position does he play on this heat team? Um, they pretty much slotted him in as the three, which, you know, it works because he has solid, decent size and he has that wingspan. So he can hold his own at the three he has and he can still switch across those other two perimeter positions. Um, I think in a perfect world, if the shooting from Justice Winslow becomes real, um, I think you would love to see him guard twos and then have Justice slide in at the three, and then you just figure out whatever at the four if you want to slide in Luke Babbitt for the short term, if you want to stick with the Olenek white side front court, which you know up until recently has had some success. Um, that option is going to be there. But Miami's pretty much stuck with um, Josh at the four. I mean, Josh at the three because they've started Dion before he – started Tyler Johnson before he got hurt. Um, we'll probably see right in the slotted in at some point it's because he's um, he shot well in this first couple of games and he's been at least active defensively. I haven't really liked what I've seen from him so far. But Spo loves him, so I'm sure he'll go to, he's going to get a long release as he um, gets accustomed to game speed. Okay. So uh... – I was watching the the game that the Heat and the Pistons played on uh, February 3rd earlier uh, last month. That was the, one of the first games they played after the Blake Griffin trade. But uh, it was a very weird game. Uh, like, Whiteside was out. I don't remember why. Um, the Pistons hadn't traded for James Ennis and Jameer Nelson yet. So they were playing, like, Anthony Tolliver at the three. Um, but one thing that... One thing that really stood out to me, though, was, like, the play of, like, Bam Adebayo. And, like, every time I watch this dude, like, he does, like, he has like two or three lobs a game and like two or three like impact plays defensively. I'm like, whoa, like who is this guy? So uh, how do you see like that, that fit moving forward, like with Hassan Whiteside on the roster? Cause like, I assume it's not going to be easy to move Hassan in the future. Yeah. I, I do not think Hassan is in a heat uniform by the time his contract runs out. Um, yeah. So we've already heard whispers about him being in trade discussions um, especially this February. Uh, I think Miami's going to at least try to move him. I just don't know what his market is because, I mean, not teams just aren't trading for big money centers. So I think Miami would probably end up buy, selling low on him whenever that day does come. But Bam Adebayo is absolutely the future of the center. He is the prototypical guy that spoke once. He sets hard screens, rolls hard. Um, we've seen him now, especially since the turn of the new year. They've been um, running the offense through him at the elbows, letting him make decisions as a um, as a passer in those high elbow dribble handoff sets. Um, he is versatile defensively. Um, I'm sure you've seen the highlight um, clip of him um, against Steph Curry in isolation, shutting him down. He had an ISO stop against LeBron. He stubbed Jimmy Butler. He has stifled Carl Anthony Towns on some post-ups. Um, he has been way better than I anticipated on either end of the floor. So, uh, I don't know. He's he's definitely the future there. 
Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Like to get a guy like that at what, like thirteen? Fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen. Yeah. And I, like and I, Go ahead. Oh yeah, I killed the pick when it happened. Um I was actually on the Miami Heat Me podcast. We were doing a live draft show and then the pick came in. We were all kind of upset about Donovan Mitchell <laughs> getting picked at thirteen when Utah made that trade. So we're all waiting for maybe OG take a um flyer on OG on Onobi or um Harry Giles we take a flyer on him. John Collins was a was a productive player in college that um, we liked. And then they go with Bam Adebayo, and I'm just like, wait. All he did at Kentucky was kind of you know, protect the rim, catch lobs. And it's like, if you're going to draft that, why not you know sign a Willie Reed in free agency instead of spending a pick on that? But Bam showed some flashes in summer league with ball handling. He flashed a jumper. Um you know, that same defensive versatility was there. He was a hound on off the glass. And, you know, you can't take too much with Summer League. But seeing enough flashes, like, okay, at the very least, we know he can do a lot more than he showed at Kentucky. And now we've seen that during his rookie season. He's been all over the place. Yeah. Don't get, don't get me started on uh, – well, there's a very, very vocal uh, segment of Pistons fandom that's extremely furious that the Pistons didn't take Donovan Mitchell. And uh, I, hate, I hate catering to that crowd. I can't blame him. But uh, Luke Kennard's been like Luke Kennard's been fine, but like you look at a guy like Donovan Mitchell, and you're like, we could have had that. It's it's hard for a lot of people to ignore that. Like, I I don't blame him. Yeah. So well, I like Luke. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a good player. He knows he's very like intelligent offensively. Like he knows where to be. We just got to work on getting him to be more aggressive, and I think that'll come in time. But like right now, he's lost his roster spot to Langston Galloway because you know got to win games, can't. Can't develop the kids right now. Got to win. Got to make the playoffs. Well, um, see, that's not that's not. <laughs> you can't do that. And you guys need the shooting, do you not? Yeah, yeah. Well, so he's been replacing lineup with Langston Galloway, who is a uh, is a willing shooter, and he he commands a lot of gravity because teams know like he has a green light and he's willing to go off whenever. Um, so like that that element of spacing has been nice. But yeah, the bench lineup. The bench had a really good game against Milwaukee on Wednesday, but before that, they were getting uh, routinely pounded after the All Star break. They gave up like a like a twenty four to eight run against the Celtics, and um, the uh, the whole bench was in like negative twenty against Charlotte. And uh, you know Toronto's bench. Toronto's bench is the best in the league, and so obviously, like they just stomped the Pistons bench. And so it, it's been uh, it's been a couple dark dark days after the All Star break, but. Uh, so Milwaukee coming in on the back-to-back after losing, you know, a close game. It's like that was, a, I think, a good remedy. But, uh, yeah, they make some lineup tweaks as well. I don't know how that's going to go. I guess I kind of want to circle back a little bit to Hassan Whiteside. What happened to Hassan Whiteside? Like, I know he's always been kind of been mercurial, and um, he's always kind of been uh, – I won't say he, he stat hunts, but, like, you can definitely tell there are times when, like, he thinks he's the best player on the court, and he's not. Yeah, but uh, he's st- he's still really talented, and he's still you know, what twenty seven, twenty eight, something like that. Like so, how how does he uh, fall in so far so quickly? Um, it's it's really just the effort stuff, and that's really the most frustrating part about him. It would be different if you know he tried to do too much, or if it, you know if it was just a matter of ability. I mean, he's shown fl- he's shown flashes of being able to win one on one matchups on the block. Whenever the double doesn't come, he can do that. He has been an elite role man every season of his career. Um, he's obviously an elite rebounder. 
He's a great shot blocker. And when he's dialed in, he's a smart defender as well. This is I think this has easily been the best defensive season of his um of his heat career. And even then there are still just those lapses to where the effort isn't there. A guy gets beat on the drive and he doesn't even attempt to block the shot because hey, it's not my fault or I just don't want to, I don't want to pick up a foul because you got beat. And offensively he'll force a look or you call for a high pick and roll, he doesn't set the screen. And it's just stuff like that that just kills you and it frustrates Spo to the point to where he wants Bam out there. He wants Kelly Olenek out there because you know he's going to scream. Um, Jordan Mickey was getting minutes earlier in the year. That was morely, that was more due to Hassan being out. But even when he came back, Jordan Mickey still had some spot minutes because Hassan wasn't giving the energy that you wanted. So, I mean, there's always that twinge of hope that, hey, if he ever figures this out, he could really be an impactful guy on both ends of the floor just because he has he's such a vertical threat. He's such a great rebounder. He's such a great defender or at least a great rim protector that he can affect many facets of the game. But it just feels like if he doesn't if he doesn't have that energy, he might as well not even be out there. And then he'll get into this place to where he's not doing anything that doesn't directly benefit him. He's not going to set a hard screen on the pick and roll because the ball is going to the corner instead of going to him on a lob or whatever. So, I mean, that's just been a frustrating thing to follow since he's been here. Do they run any uh, dribble handoff stuff through him? Do they trust him to, to execute any of that or no? They have tried. Um, they've done a lot of that. They've done a lot more this year. And he, I mean, the results have been hit or miss. Um, I tweeted uh, a couple weeks ago that I think Miami made the switch from pick and rolls to dribble handoffs because just the nature of a dribble handoff forces Hassan to set contact on the screen. <laughs> and uh, that was mostly a joke, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, this for him to be as big as he is, it just it baffles me that he is as unwilling as a screener. It, is, it never makes it. Yeah, you can definitely tell like the the difference in like space he creates when he when he actually like makes contact versus when he like slips the screen is just massive. Um, I remember uh, during the Philly game, he set like a couple like really nice screens for Wade. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, if, if you do that, like, against Amir Johnson, like, you're going to create space and you're going to get rewarded. You just you, you wonder why he doesn't, uh, you know, put that together for uh, 40 minutes a game and 38 minutes a game or whatever, you know, whatever he's playing. I'm not sure. Like, even on the Wade game winner, I mean, he said three very hard screens that were all legal. And they kind of free weight a little bit before he hit the step back over Ben Simmons. And you just look at it and it's like, okay, this isn't a matter of you can't do it. Or you don't know how to do it. You choose not to. And that's also what kind of bothers me about um, the prospects of trading him. Because normally you get a – not necessarily a malcontent. I don't want to go too far. But a guy like that that needs to be prodded produced. You know, Eric Spolstra is at worst the top five, top six coach in the NBA. He's what the second longest tenured coach in the league behind Pop. And um, is he really? I think so. So I'm just looking at that. I know, I know, I know Casey's up there, but like, yeah, that'd be a that'd be an amazing stat. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, if Eric Spolstra can't get you to play hard, and Miami's entire organizational ethos is, you know, we're gonna outwork you. If you can't do that in Miami, you know, why would Washington give up like Gortat or whatever for Hassan? Why would they want to deal with that? You know, why would a team like Milwaukee want to deal with it? And ultimately, that deal never came between those two teams. 
Like, why would you want to trade for Hassan if Eric Spolstra, one of the most respected coaches in the league and one of the best coaches in the league, playing for an organization that preaches work ethic and doing the dirty work, if you're not doing it there, why would a team want to give up assets, you know, for a guy like that, even with the talent? Yeah. This is so funny because this reminds me a lot of the discussion around Andre Drummond uh, prior to this year. Um, the the he, he never had a problem like setting screens or anything like that, but the mental focus and acuity on defense was just like always lacking. Um, you never, you never quite like knew what he was thinking on defense. Sometimes he would just <laughs> randomly like double guys, leaving guys open on the perimeter. And you'd be like, why, why did you do that? He, and so, you know, but like this year he's that we've seen a lot less of that. Obviously like they're running a little bit more motion and giving him uh, control of the offense from the, from the key with the dribble handoffs and everything. And that, and he's been a lot better defensively with the, with the hard hedges and uh, attacking the pick and rolls a little bit more. And so like, I know if we had, there was, there was a lot of rumors last year that like, you know, Sacramento was interested in Andre for like Willie Cauley Stein and a second rounder. And like, you know, sometimes you just, the, the best trade you makes is the, is the trade you don't make. And so I just, selling so low on a guy like that is just, you know, that's a, that's can really alter like the course of a franchise. But like you have, but you have a really capable backup though, and bam, like the Pistons don't have that. So, and I guess that makes it like a little bit easier when you're considering like what the future is going to look like there. Now, speaking about, I guess, sorry, speaking of the future, I guess. Um, so we got the you the Heat play on Saturday against the Pistons. Um, Pistons play Orlando on Friday. The Heat Saturday, and then after that, uh, you said on Twitter the Heat were about to go one and four. Um, I see like a short West Coast trip against like the Lakers again and like Phoenix. I don't I don't understand like where where are these losses coming from for the for the Heat. Oh, that's uh, that was mostly a frustration tweet. To be completely honest. Ah, yeah, okay. Just seeing Lakers <laughs> drop 130 <laughs> points on you, I was like, well, you know, the Pistons have been struggling, but if Julius Randle looks like that, then Blake Griffin can probably you know ha- get back on track. And if you're gonna give up that kind of those many threes to the Lakers with that kind of pace and you struggle that much, you know, Devin Booker, Josh Jackson, who has been phenomenal over the last couple of weeks, you know, that might be a problem. And Miami has showed a propensity to lose to bad teams that get out and run or just bad teams in general when they don't come with that energy. But, you know, I don't think they will actually go one and four. I mean, I think the Phoenix game should definitely be a win. Um, If Miami defends and, you know, Blake Griffin doesn't draw 50, I think they should, you know, they should be able to beat Detroit. Man, I'm I'm telling you, if Blake, if Blake Griffin dropped fifty, like that would I would be the most I would be literally the most shocked oh, person but, in the world. It's been. Oh, I was just about to ask you, like, what has been the deal with Blake? Because the first few games, um, well, I think when they started out three and zero, if I'm not mistaken, um, he shot a little poorly from the field, but I mean, at least the energy was there, and he was making those passes, and he was getting out in transition. Um, like, what has really faltered for him? So I think it's a it's a combination of factors. It's the uh, the team around him has not been really suited to take advantage of his skill set. Um, starting two non-shooters or in Ish Smith and Stanley Johnson um, is just like really just hindering what he's able to do um, when you give him the ball on like those punch sets. Uh, you know, the entire defense is underneath the free throw line. He can't, and anyone he kicks it out to, you know, can't make the shot. So he's trying to like bull through three guys to, to hit a layup. Like that's not efficient offense. And so, uh, and they, you know, he still doesn't have the chemistry with Andre quite yet. They've made like a couple of nice plays when uh, when they set it up for him, 
but uh, just like that psychic con- that psychic connection he had with DeAndre Jordan just like isn't present, and so like a lot of that stuff uh, isn't there. But uh, and you know he's he's also making bad choices with shot selection. There have been uh, multiple times where you'll see him uh, have like a wide open twenty footer, and he'll like pick up his dribble, take uh, take a couple steps back beyond the three point line, and like just jack it up. And like you know if uh, if he were like a thirty five percent free throw uh, three point shooter, that'd be fine, right? Um, hijacking the rhythm of the offense for like a better shot is okay, but. Uh, He's shooting, I think, twenty, shooting twenty five percent from three Ooh. as a piston. Yeah, and so uh, making making like the conscious effort to shoot a shot you're like immensely worse at, and like hijack your own like shooting rhythm is like not is not been good. Um, the Pistons made a starting lineup change. They uh, put James Ennis in the starting lineup over Stanley Johnson. I think that'll help a little bit with the spacing, and so uh, I'm I'm eager to see how that looks again uh, tonight. Um, Ennis played, I think, only like 16 minutes against Milwaukee because of foul trouble. And of course, Stanley Johnson had like a really good game, but uh, it was all in transition and you know not shooting spot ups, which is just not his game. And so, I'll be I'll be curious to see how they handle that uh, in Miami. I know if if Kelly Olynyk uh, gives the same level of effort on D that he did against Julius Randle, like I think they'll be in good shape. But like that's not I don't want to rely on that moving forward. You know. Yeah, understandable. Yeah, I just just going back to that. I'm just not sure why Eric Spoelstra decided to start Kelly Olynyk, considering he just came back. Like, just so, so what is what's the alternative though, right? Like starting James Johnson or like playing like Whiteside and Bam together? Um, he did try Whiteside and Bam to start the second half, but it wasn't. Um, it it just didn't work for long. Just the, the spacing was too bad. But um, yeah, I'm just I don't really know what the alternative would be. I guess they could have started um Magruder and then just slid Justice back to the four. Since I mean he's got enough starts at the four, that isn't really how you optimize him. But I think that would have been a better um a better matchup than Kelly Olynyk, who just he just can't move. And not only can he not move, he's rusty because he's been out with the shoulder injury. So you know he was a defensive liability and he didn't have the shot going at all. Well, I mean, there there was just no upside to starting him. I don't think. I mean, obviously, I hope the Pistons win. You hope the Heat win. You know, playoffs or whatever. But like, give me give me your honest opinion. Like, where what do you think the uh, how how what do you think the chances are that the Pistons actually like make the playoffs over the Heat? Like, how do you how confident are you in the Heat right now, objectively? Um, objectively, I am not confident in Miami. Um, I think their their offense has looked so bad for so long, and now they're without their two best shooters. And we don't know how long they're going to be out. Um, I don't know. It's hard to be confident about them. Like, you want to say they have enough talent and they have the coaching and they have vets, and they've been a second-half team, not just last year, but um, 2016 they reeled off a crazy run. Um, not 2016, 2015, excuse me. They reeled off a crazy second half run when they um, brought Hassan off the bench. Funny enough, started Amari Stoudemire, and that kind of got him going. But um, oh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I remember that. Oh man, contract. That was so weird. That, that probably should have been a sign. Contract year, Hassan had to be moved to the bench behind the corpse of Amari Stoudemire because he wouldn't set screens. Like that's. Oh man, uh, it worked out, I guess. But man. <laughs> That's not a ring endorsement. Oh, 
But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you kind of want to bank on Miami's track record, veterans, and their coaching. And the schedule isn't ridiculously hard for them. But if they can't score, then I mean, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fair. I think the main thing with the Pistons is that you you don't know what effort level you're going to get from them night in and night out. Um, uh, off, you know, they have a lot of talent on the roster on paper, but like offensively, just like the Heat. They've they've been struggling. Uh, I talk I talked to you about Blake Griffin's uh, struggles. Andre's been playing really well, but um, you know having Ish Smith and uh, Stanley Johnson in the starting lineup, which is no longer the case, but that like really just puts a stranglehold on like how many points you can score in in 2018 NBA. And so uh, we'll we'll see how that looks tonight and against Orlando. But and I'm hopeful, but it. I'm roughly in the same place. It's really hard to be, I think, confident in uh, in the Pistons making the playoffs. I'll hold out hope, but uh, and it's it's the best thing for the team long term. But uh, I can't I can't say that uh, I have any more faith in the in the Pistons than you do in the Heat, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it is. Like I think it's going to be more of a matter of can Detroit right the ship or will they falter? I think that's really going to decide who gets in. I just don't think Miami really – they control their own destiny, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to do so. They're going to have to bank on Detroit continue their slide or, you know, Charlotte start losing at some point because I think they've reeled off, what, five straight? They they lost last night, didn't they? But, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Charlotte has looked uh, surprisingly spry lately, and that's not a, that's not a comforting development, I don't think. Um, the Pistons are also like a really bad road team, and they have a six-game uh, West Coast trip coming up. So, like that's that's another big reason. Like they could easily go like two and four on that trip and just kill all all playoff hopes. And like that's the end of it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on so much, uh, Nikias. I really Nikias. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Sorry about that. Um, so, where can uh, where can people find you? Um, What's your what's your Twitter handle? Uh, you know where do you write? Like where where can people get more heat analysis as the uh, as uh, we start hate watching the Heat for the uh, Pistons playoff spot? <laughs> Basically, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nikaias NBA. It's N E K I A S NBA. Uh, you can find my work um, mostly at FanRag Sports. Um, FRS Hoops now is what we've been rebranded as. Um, you can find me at B Ball Breakdown. Um, I do some content, some account tweeting at Miami Heat Beat. I was just on pot of theirs last week. So um, those are the three places you can find me at. Um, please read my work. Yeah, I got to say, uh, your piece on BAM earlier this year was uh, was really well done. And I highly encourage uh, just NBA fans. You don't have to be a fan of the Heat to, to really enjoy this guy's work. Um, and as for me and my work, uh, I'm on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, you can also find uh, this podcast and any other uh, pieces I put up at Detroit Bad Boys. That's DetroitBadBoys.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm not sure if we'll do a podcast on Sunday. I'm going to say it'll be highly dependent on the results of uh, this week's back-to-back, and we'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. Mm-hmm.